Hello, everyone. Quick update. The podcast has moved. We have a new website, which is www.lionrock.life slash courage to change podcast. Again, that's www.lionrock.life slash courage to change podcast. And our new email address is podcast at lionrock.life. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lobossingame, and I am your host. Today, we have Preston Moore. As far as addiction is concerned, Preston found it difficult to accept the fact that he was a drug addict and alcoholic. He would think, what do you mean you think I might have a problem? I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. I show up to work every day, I pay my own bills, and I'm never sloppy or the one causing trouble. I really think I'm just unlucky. If it wasn't for four arrests in three years, he might still be fighting a battle today. His sobriety date is September 10th, 2001, just one month after his 21st birthday. Today, Preston's entire life revolves around being an advocate for counseling, therapy, and support groups like AANA, Al-Anon, ACA, and NAMI. He does outreach for mental health and addiction hospitals, and he hosts a podcast called The High Cost of Anonymity, along with being a regular speaker, trainer, and coach. Preston believes the solution to normalizing mental health and addiction is by making coaching, counseling, and other mental health and addiction support as common as going to the gym, hiring a personal trainer, or going to a group fitness class. Oh, I love Preston. He is amazing. He's my new bestie. And uh, I went and spoke on his podcast, The High Cost of Anonymity. It was so fun. Preston has so much good insight and all of that you will see in this episode. Lots of fun, lots of interesting topics. And he absolutely believes that getting therapy should be as common as hiring a personal trainer. And I could not agree with him more. Could not agree with him more. I hope, I hope, I hope. I am honored that Preston would come on the podcast and I hope you enjoy it too. All right, episode 72. Let's do this. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, ladies. Thanks for being here. Awesome. What's your, what's your, tell me, what do you have right there? Is that a Yeti? Uh, well, some would say, I think it's a polar. Oh, okay. I thought but we were, it's it legit. Same. It's it legit. Is, yeah. I, it, it, like Yeti, uh, Yeti was, is like, oh, there you go. You may or may not be getting one of these. It's a Yeti with the logo. I would logo. love to have one. May or may, this is, depends on how well this goes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. If you behave, <laughs> tell us the be- most incriminating stories. Yeah, like that. I only I only like incriminating stories. Well, I had to laugh because Christiana and I was talking yesterday, and she was telling me about the debate you were having uh, about cursing, and I am typically always on your side. Um, you know, yeah, the, the typically. Of, yeah the the amount of times that I I remember I was at, there was this like comedy kind of a comedy skit 
about um, mental health and addiction. And mm-hmm. it was at like a social worker conference. And I'm in the back rolling, laughing. And all, everybody's like super quiet. And I'm like, oh, I'm not in like a recovery room. <laughs> There's like a lot of therapists in here. And they're like, oh, my God, this is tragic. I'm like, this is hilarious. What are you talking about? Seriously. So, well, yeah. see, so are you okay? Let, let me just let's get the listeners in on this. Okay. So I feel like we we have historically bleeped out cuss words. Okay. I hate the word yeah. cuss word, like as if it's cuss word. It's like, yeah. anyway. Whatever. And I, and because you have to put explicit on your episode, which, sure. we, which would, but, I feel like even if we don't say any cuss words, even if I were to say zero cuss words, I can still talk about doing an eight ball of cocaine right. and, you know, hiring a hooker or something. And no one's yeah. going to, that's totally fine. But if I say shit, now I, now I got to put it as explicit. And I start, yeah. I started to feel like, you know, this is ridiculous. Like we've got yeah. to, like, I don't want to do this, but I, so I so I came I was like okay what's my middle ground I'm always looking for middle ground so he was like well what's my middle ground okay so bleep f- but not the rest of them yeah I don't know what do you, you think you could do and I just had a I just had a, a an um an idea that you know how they you can bleep the curse words right but also yeah. Google and YouTube track the bleeps so you want they a lot of people are doing these like random noises to cover a bleep and actually they're making it as kind of part of their own brand. Y'all could do a lion roar. That could be like your bleep. So on audio, mm. when the computers are tracking it, they look for bleeps, but if it's some, some weird noise, it doesn't matter. And you could go, ah, and it's like a curse word and it could be like a party or thing. Ah, but my my how, general like- idea, my general idea is most of the stuff we, we worry about doesn't matter anyway. Um, right. in the overall scheme of like podcasting, it's like, come talk to me when you've been doing it for like three to five years. You know, the first little bit right. doesn't really matter. It's like a figuring out time. So, and if it's yeah. good, people will listen. Like, I yeah, yeah. That's, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm kind of over bleeping. Like, but there's also just, a good, if, if you can't good, handle, uh, a, a, you yeah. can't handle this podcast. True. And I'd also argue there's probably Christiana is probably a really good balance uh, uh, to, yes. to have like a partner. So yes. we don't she's always a, need to be in left field. You yep. know, I'll she's hang a, out there all day. She's she's a, an amazing balance. She's amazing yeah. balance. Uh, it it otherwise this is this would might be a skid row situation. So out of curiosity, here. Are we actually recording a podcast right now? Yeah, we're we're like in yeah, it. right on. I like we're it. Just, we're just we just jumped right in. Yeah, cool. Uh, okay, I'm going to introduce you, Preston. Welcome to the Courage to Change Recovery podcast. Preston, tell me about your podcast. You have a podcast called um, The High Cost of Anonymity, which I love because yeah. uh, I saw the anonymous people. That was the first time I ever uh, that ever occurred to me. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about how that came to be that that title what what you're trying to achieve and then i want to get into um all your incriminating stories awesome um so yeah it's called the high cost of anonymity it was it was interesting because the anonymous people was pretty profound to me as well 
I, that was the first time someone actually put like a, a name and a structure on what I had been doing for a long time. I just didn't realize it. Right. Okay. Um, and I always felt like, so uh, I got sober uh, September 10th of 2001. So in just about a month, hopefully I make Woo! it, it'll be 19 years. And That's so crazy. I got sober at a time where, you know, they said, you're going to go to treatment. I went to outpatient treatment, uh, IOP. Right. And they said, look, you got six weeks. You better figure it out. Plug into AA or NA. And because after that, you don't, there is nothing else. Like, this is it. You got six weeks, figure it out. And then I go there and it's like, I have this big aha moment after a couple of months. And then they go, well, this is what I heard. Um, now that you found the solution, don't tell anybody. And so what I mean by that is this idea of like, you know, anonymity at the level of press, radio and film, attraction rather than promotion. Um, you know, if you if I've got to tell you that I've changed, I haven't done much change and people should see the change. Right. right and then right, it's right, like right, right. Then, then I had this, you know, the, the situations where I'd see you in a meeting. And then we'd go, oh, hey, we both belong. But there's something in the back of my mind going, that's kind of a travesty. Like, I know that you're new. I've known you for five years. You didn't know I was in recovery. That doesn't seem like a, that seems like a disservice to me that I can't say, oh, by the way, I'm in recovery, blah, 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 blah. Right. So that, that makes me just want to hug you because I now know about your personality, which is that you are a rule follower in many ways because it never occurred to me to follow those rules. Those rules. Well, you know, it's look, here's an interesting part about rule following is, and this is as I've gotten older and the more work that I've done, I would have swore to you that I'm a rebel. I don't like, I don't like, but the truth is, is that I do like a framework of rules and I consistently set myself up in situations that give me a framework. Now, maybe the frame is pretty far, like I got Mm -hmm. quite a bit of leeway, but I've been kind of duping myself in this idea that I don't like rules, but yet, um, you know, so I create this framework and then I rebel Against yes. in and around, and I kind of yeah, push yeah, yeah. the thing. You yeah, know, so yeah, I, yeah. So trying to like make this, push I, it out. Yeah, dude, I'm not. Yeah, so there is an because two. I get that. I didn't love rules, but I also like I was desperate. I I was attracted to do this, do this, do this. Mm-hmm. I had a militant sponsor. I was quite militant. So like I was a rebel in some ways, but when it came to like recovery and like yeah. I was a I was a basic tech thumper or big book thumper as they would say in AA and I just was so militant and um and because I was young enough and it never was a detriment I always told people that I was sober. I just didn't have oh, you did the 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 12 step aspect of it. Yeah, like I always told and a lot of people knew me but I I've from the gate told people I was sober. Okay, okay. But what I was referring to with the anonymous people and what I talk about now is I that was the first time there was actually a structure because I knew there was some un, I, I had some uneasiness when you had people say, you found the solution. Don't tell anybody. Again, <laughs> this is like my interpretation. Right. I'm like, well, I tell people, but why can't I say I'm a member here? And if I, why do I have to be kind of incognito about 
how I say it. And so the anonymous people kind of parlayed into what a, what a right. lot of what I talk about with right. the high cost of anonymity is what is the cost to our community that people, my neighbors, people I work with, um, people in friendship circles, if you go to a religious organization, people in there, what is the cost of them not being more open about their trials and tribulations? In other words, it's become real apparent now that I work in mental health. So I've been working for a mental health and addiction hospital for a year and a half. It's interesting to see the lived experience mm-hmm. um, collide with the healthcare system <laughs> and like, you know, yeah. certifications and uh-huh. licensure and uh-huh. privacy. Right. Yep. And I go, we're at a break the stigma rally. Mm-hmm. You're saying there shouldn't be a stigma, but I know you uh-huh. don't tell anybody you're in recovery. So you are actually a part of the issue. But so, okay, I love this, love every piece of this conversation. So I talk about this on the podcast, which was in the beginning of this podcast. So my sister has been telling me, my I have two younger sisters. One is two years younger and she has been telling me for years, she jokes like, you know, whenever we're around and, and I'll finish talking about something she'll say, and that was Ashley's Ted talk. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, and so she's like, you have to get a podcast. You have to get a podcast. And I, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And so then, um, then the team came to me and said, we want you to do a podcast. We'd love to, you know, blah, 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 blah. So this is, it just keeps showing up. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to put my name I don't want to put my picture. So first it was, okay, fine, I'll do it. But I don't want my name to – like I don't want it to be prominent, my name to be prominent. And yep. then my name was on it and I was like, I don't want my picture to be the picture, right? So the graphics – we had a graphics department come up with – I think it was like – Christiana would know because it was a shit show. Like 30 different graphics that everyone was voting on. And one of them was my picture. And long story short, it ended up – I was like, our, at literally we were about to go to – to uh, publishing last minute, 11th hour. And I was like, all right, do my photo, whatever. Oh, it was, I just got a text message. It was 40 images, 40 graphic <laughs> images. Is Christiana listening? Is that what's going yeah. on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for the was, listeners, I can't see her face, but now yeah. she's like saying, yeah, say she's it. Like, it was 40. <laughs> and it was this whole thing. And I, at, fi- at the 11th hour, I was like, all right, fine, put my picture. And you know why? And I still have this, like, I still get this feeling, which is um, that, and, and, and I'll, I'll also add in that for a long time, I wanted to leave myself open to be in other parts of healthcare, to work in other parts of healthcare. And so I'm finishing my MBA at Johns Hopkins and in, you know, big, this is, that's big healthcare, right? And so I was going to, my idea was that I was going to set myself up to kind of go anywhere I wanted in healthcare. I'm assuming I'd always end up somewhere in the mental health, but anywhere I wanted. And so with the podcast and with my face and with my name, and I knew that once I got on air, there was no way I was going to be able to, uh, you know, make anything, you know, redact or, 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 uh, censor myself. There's just, that's not me, but my fear of the stigma, even if you could find the information about me, even if all the other things that I had done in the past, the other press, that kind of thing, my fear of the stigma of having this ongoing, long form recordings and me relating to people, me talking to people and uh, my name and my face being associated with, with, you know, serious drug use and everything that comes with that. I still have to overcome 
this feeling when I, when I repost things or when I post them to LinkedIn or things like that, I still, the stigma is in my head and I, you know, the courage to change is kind of like, I, like I'm big about that, which is it's, it's courage because I'm scared. I am scared that my children, my husband, you know, anything I want to do, I am afraid of the stigma. I am. I'm doing it because how can I possibly, and this is what I said at the 11th hour, how can I possibly say these things about ending the stigma and be unwilling to put my neck out there? Because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be for, you know, breaking down the stigma and have it be someone else's neck, someone else's. someone else's face and just kind of follow, you know, kind of follow them in, you know, with the, with the kind of behind their coattails. And, and I got to this place where it was like, I gotta be, I I can't, I gotta be more courageous than that, but it's scary. It's really scary because the judgment is there. And those people that go with you to that rally, I get it. I get it. They want to end the stigma. But what we have to talk about is the way to end, like my sponsor in program is the head of a huge HR company, huge um, Fortune 500 HR company. And I don't think she talks about that. But yeah. those are the types of people that we need talking yeah. and and exposing themselves. But again, you come back to traditions, anonymity, and some people are very, you know, by the book on that, other people not. But that's, you're right. It's like yeah. we talk about stigma, but what are we doing to actually reduce it? Yeah. And I think there's a, um, I was talking to Christiana about this and why I like long form conversations because in mo in almost every single thing in every single topic, no matter what it is, everything falls on a spectrum because I also don't want to limit someone's, um, right process of getting comfortable. Like they might be in a, at a point in the process where just showing up at the stigma rally was like a big step. Totally. So I don't want to, I don't want to, um, diminish that. Right. I also don't, um, believe and want to sit here and say, everyone should self-disclose this way right. and you're either all in or all out or, True. you know, whatever, True. because I equally understand that, um, you know, like in the, with a fortune 500 person, I was just talking to a therapist and she has a, um, when I originally started the podcast, when I talked about the high cost of anonymity, my thought process was recovery based because that's where I come from. Then I started working for a mental health hospital. I'm like, man, it's actually quite broad, you know, much yeah. broader than yeah, that. Yeah, then yeah. I go, you know what? Yeah. Everybody has a bit of a story that they're embarrassed or ashamed about. And if mm-hmm. they could learn how to share it in a responsible, productive yes. way, they could also be a valuable resource. So it's much, much broader. But this this therapist was saying, you know, the the CEO of a multi-million dollar company yep. um, can't and will more than likely uh, be penalized if they find out they have a history with suicidal thoughts or depression. Yep. Yep. Now, that person's a high performer. They've been in therapy a long yep. time. But like they don't need to be like, hey, nice to meet you. I'm applying for this job and, and I've been suicidal in the past. Would you like to hire me? I, I mean, to, to, to say that that a person that's running an HR company is the same as me that does outreach or sales sure. that is not <laughs> in sure. a, right. So, so I, I want to be very clear about that, but, but I feel like, and what, the way I progress from 
the anonymous people, which they typically recommend. My name's Preston. I'm a person in long-term recovery. What that means is I haven't used drugs or alcohol in the last 19 years, blah, blah, blah. Touche. What I find myself doing, whether it's professional and often professionally um, and out and about is I say, hey, by the way, if you know someone's struggling with mental health or addiction, me and my family have a lot of experience in that. And you can use this as a resource or get my number out. Anyway, let's get back to the podcast or, hey, what's your kid doing over there? So it's this like real general in passing saying our family, even just by saying mental health and addiction in our family have experience is kind of taking a little bit of the pressure off, but it's kind of like being a fisher of men and women, throwing the rod out there, trying to see if they either bite on it. They go, most people go, oh yeah, cool, whatever. But some people circle back and they go, hey, that thing you were telling me about, could you tell me more? Now in a more private situation conversation, I now have an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper to find out if it's them asking for them, mm-hmm. more likely it's them asking for a friend or family member. And I just think um, I just think that by not being able to do that or or when we talk about being in the box and then rebelling against the, the, mm-hmm. the boundaries mm-hmm. is I don't see my job as telling you what you need to do with how to self-disclose and how much you say. What I do see my job is is to find where you're comfortable and to move it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I want to push you a little bit outside your comfort zone so you can be a more valuable resource and, and, and be more comfortable with your own experience. And whatever that looks like, you know, like I said, we we, we might say stuff here in the macro, but the conversations are really in the micro. In other mm-hmm. words, I could say a couple things on the podcast, but I need to to work with you one-on-one to kind of figure out where's your jam? Is your fear justified or are you, you know, are you at a point where it's like, okay, you're very well established. You, you know, you can do your job. It's time for you to start kind of self-disclosing a bit and here's a good comfortable way to do it. So I think it's all on a spectrum and I think it is, I don't think everybody should be instantly be as comfortable as what I'm talking about and, and how I am. But I do think you're right in that we need people that are have more social credibility yes. to, to at least give a peek. Not mm-hmm. nice to meet you. I used to bang dope in the bathroom <laughs> and sleep around a lot. That's right. not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm just saying, hey, by the way, my family has experience in that area. If you know someone struggling, you can use me as a resource. You yep. know, that kind of a the other the other thing I had, Ashley, was. I go into a lot of schools, schools, fire and police departments, county services, clinicians. I'll go on this rant about very similar to what I'm talking about, which is why do we not self-disclose more? And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. Mental health rally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Break the stigma. Yeah. And then they lean in and they go, oh, yeah, I've been, I've been sober 10 years like me and you're. I'm like, OK, so now you've been a teacher right? For 10 years or whatever. And, and there are people in your school, parents and faculty. I'm not saying again, I'm not saying you need to put your flag up and go, I'm in recovery. I got three DWIs (laughs) and I'm teaching your second grader. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is there's people in the school, there's people in the administration, there are parents in your classrooms that are silently struggling 
and you have some solution, even if it's, yeah, I use a counselor. You should use a counselor. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But because so many people are scared that they might have a parent here and not want their kid in their classroom, touche, that's real. But at what point in someone's recovery do they transition from being a risk right, to a high-level resource? Yes. And for me, that's somewhere around two years. Okay. You know, that, that's kind of the – like, you don't want to go, hey, I got a DWI 90 days ago, and I'm teaching your second-grade kid. Yeah. But it's somewhere like two, four, six years of recovery, solid yeah. recovery, that you can kind of – dance with anybody that I'm a, like a, a friend had said, well, what if your kid, my son's four, what if your kid goes to school and starts telling your friends that or their friends and parents that their parents go to meetings? I go, awesome, please yeah. do. So yeah. I can open the conversation with the one or two parents in the room that could probably use those meetings that I go to. Right. And, and then teaching my kid that like, Hey, personal development, spiritual development is a good thing and get them used to making counseling cool and talking, yep. you know, like that's kind of my big, you know, paint the pretty picture, but I also know it's not as clear cut as that. So, right. There's nuance. There's nuance for sure. But, but I want to, I want to make you uncomfortable and I want you to expand your horizons and I want you to push yourself past where you're comfortable. And I would also argue, Ashley, that in the overall scheme of things, when you make that, when you made that decision to put the stake in the ground, your face, record your crazy ass story that I listened to, <laughs> to get an MBA, like you're just not going to get opportunities at jobs that think that that's a big deal. Right. But there's plenty of other companies right. that think your skill set and your background and your leadership style and your perspective is just what they need. And if you wouldn't have opened your mouth, you might be off in these bullshit ass offices right. Right. that you've got to hide in. Right. So, and, and I'm not a, I, I don't know how to do that. Right. Exactly. So, so exactly. I mean, they wouldn't want me any, it wouldn't exactly. work out anyway, but it is the, but it does, um, for me, it shows that it has infiltrated my mind that I worry about it, right? That, right. It, that it's enough to worry about. But it's funny when you were talking about like the teachers and this, like I would prefer, and I would say this to my 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 parents and my sister, you know, my, when my sisters were dating or whatever, like, you know, and there was a guy who's in therapy, they're dating. I'm like, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. That means yeah. they're actually working on themselves because the people who aren't in therapy, that <laughs> doesn't mean that they don't have they're, problems. Hey, they're incognito. That's how my wife was. Right, I, right. When it I started dating my wife. doesn't mean they don't have problems. Yeah. I was like, I started dating my wife. So we, I'd been sober maybe five years and, and, um, I, I was at, uh, Texas A&M. I just transferred to Texas A&M. I'd been a realtor for, seven years or something. And she came to do her master. She's British. She was, you know, lived all over the world. I call her exotic, although England doesn't seem that exotic, but she had a foreign accent. That was yeah, that's good. exotic. I'll yeah, take yeah. it. Hey, I'll yeah. take it. Yeah. Um, and here I am thinking like, wow, I landed me like a normie only to find out yep. that like after six months of uh, counseling, you know, cause we we're on the verge of breaking up 
Like she goes, man, I've got this long history throughout our family with mental health and addiction. And huh, maybe I'm, maybe I should go to Al-Anon or whatever. And I'm like, here I am thinking you're a normal. Right, right, right. It took me a year and a half to figure out, no, you're just, yeah, nope. I just attracted you just like a heat-seeking missile. We, yep, yep. We to us. Yeah, uh, we do. Or or whoever is going to support I, us. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I, I you know, I, I don't feel personally, having worked in this industry a long time, I don't feel comforted by people who are like, yeah, I don't have a problem. I'm not in recovery. I'm not in a program. I'm not in therapy. That does not comfort me. I am more comforted. I would rather have my child have a yeah. teacher who is working a program or doing therapy, introspective work, whatever, going on spiritual missions than yeah. someone who does zero introspection. Because to me, and again, that's, that's experience speaking, right? Yeah. That's, that's, but I, that's, I always laugh when it's like, so you want the teacher who doesn't have any insight into their behavior. Right. Okay. <laughs> Good for it, you. Well, you know, it's also funny too, because, um, it's hard. Like one thing that I've really been looking into quite a bit over the last year, year and a half was uh, I started going to a uh, ACA meetings, adult mm-hmm. children, alcoholic and dysfunction. And I went there because I've done the steps a bunch of times. I've sponsored a bunch of people, but I've always felt there's something missing, like deep down where my behavior as a parent, as an employee and as a husband falls short of what I think and and how I want to be. In other words, knowledge in itself is not a solution. It doesn't matter if I know the right <laughs> thing to do, if I can't. Of course. I literally yeah. act out like a child without with with without any control. And so in ACA they talk so much about the five types of families, dysfunctional families that have nothing to do with drugs and alcohol. And that is what I think is super interesting because all these people, so many people go, oh, well, I'm not in recovery. I don't have any issues. You go, well, did you have mental health or addiction in your family or, or greater generations back? Uh, strict uh, military, religious backgrounds, foster care adoption. Okay, sick family member or hypochondriac. Oh, any overeaters, overspenders, super control freak type parents. And you start going back and they're like, well, now that you mention it, you know, mm-hmm. my parents are super, you know, off the, you know, off the deep end religious or my dad works all the time and my mom has so high expectations. There's no drinking in the house. Right. But those behaviors and styles of dysfunction built around abandonment, shame and guilt and fear model and track just like having a brown bag alcoholic in the home or a, you know, mm-hmm. dope shooting mom or a divorced family. And so I think, and so many of us end up in the help care system, <laughs> counselors, mental health, addiction, nurses, you know, that kind of a thing. And it just, I was telling uh, Christiana that that's like my Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer theory. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm supposed yeah. to ask we, about that. I want to know about it. So Ru- Rudolph, it's like Rudolph is the easy one to diagnose. Right, you right, right. would be a Rudolph. Yeah. I would be a Rudolph, right? right? And you get everybody in going, look at look at Ashley, look at uh-huh. Preston. They're so screwed up, but yeah. they overlook the fact that Rudolph's entire crew is dysfunctional. They just think they're normal because they're all they hang out with. Right. Right. And so it's like, you right. know, identified patient. 
That, that's right. And so, it, it, and I, I don't know about you, but I always kept people around that were worse off than me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to use them as a way to justify my behavior. I still had a job. I still did this. Well, ne- at least I never did that. If I ever used that substance that way, then I'll definitely have a problem. Well, then when I started using that way, I got rid of that friend and got a worse friend. So now I had a new low to compare yep. myself to. Yeah, right? those lower companions. Yeah. So I just think that no matter what, we all hang or solution seeks its own level. Even people outside of the rooms and drug and alcohol addiction is we all hang out together. So then we're in this false sense of this false world that we think everybody lives the way we live. That's just the way it is. Pull your boots up and get on with it. So what if you're insecure, just stuff it and move on. And I go, well, that's how we handle it. And it's not. One of the places I see that being um so prevalent like just and 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 I I understand how people struggle with this is rural areas really like growing up in a really rural area um the drinking culture how much you drink uh, like how much is acceptable to drink drinking and driving like all these things has been very interesting and it it very much pointed out to me um, again, that, you know, working with people who have grew up in rural areas and are fighting the idea that it's okay to drink and drive or it's okay because in that community, it really was okay. Like that really like in that town, in that, you know, in that area. And it highlighted for me, the things that the norms that I created or that not that I created or that I participated in, like this was really normal. One of the things that was normal in my community was children disappearing in the middle of the night. And I'm not talking about, you know, Hollywood pedophilia. It's, this is kids sneaking out or like, no, um, being kidnapped and taken to treatment. So in the, in the community that I grew up in, yep. In the community. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. Where is your community? What community? Uh, In the Bay area, in the Bay area. So in, in Silicon Valley. So I grew up in Silicon Valley and what, you know, and I'm not, knocking against this one way or another, but what families did, particularly in the age I was growing up in, what families did when you had a problem child um, was that you hired people to come get them in the middle of the night and took them to Utah, Montana, um, off to some sort of wilderness, some sort of boarding school, and you they just disappeared. So you had a problem kid, boom, they were gone. And so, I mean, my solution to that was to move out because I was like, well, they can't get you if you're not there. Um, and right. and they did end up getting me, by the way. <laughs> um, Got them. Yeah, yeah. We're so smart. I know, I know. I was talked into sleeping at home one night, the one night. And, uh, but that, you know, that I remember going off to other treatments and people being like, that's really strange that you, your friends, you knew, you just lived in a world where like your friends disappeared. Well, my friends were all the troubled kids. So I yeah. regularly had friends just drop off the I've never heard it explained that way. It, I mean, it was, you would be like, oh, haven't heard from so-and-so. Parent must've got him, must've you know, got, must've got, got him. Got him. <laughs> just disappeared. Yeah. They just weren't at school one day. Right. And so that was really normal. That was I, like, that was really normal. And it's interesting, all the different types of things that you grow up with and, and mm. how we normalize those. And, you know, for me, I, I didn't leave my normal, my friends, like, you know, talk about lower, lower companions and having people around that made you not, you know, not feel like you were the worst. 
the people who felt like I was just a complete shit show, they just left. Like I didn't have time to leave anybody. I didn't, they mm. would just leave. And of, and I remember the moment of like, oh, I'm the worst. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm, I'm, there's how much worse does it have to get? Like, what does it look like to have a lower companion at this point? Like yeah. it, it, that homeless, you know, in, in the tenderloin, like maybe that's how, like, where do we go from here? And you talk, I know you talk about a lot about um, the gift of crash and burn. And I, I, the most miserable people that I see on the planet are the people who are functional yeah. in their addiction and in their mental health. Yeah. They are the most miserable people I've <laughs> ever met. I would take my crash and burn any day of the week yeah. other than 30 years of like getting by. Yeah. And I think that's kind of when I think about the conversations that I like to have, it is targeted at the 80 percent, you know, 80, 90 mm percent -hmm. of people that are totally functioning, mm -hmm. that show up, that, you know, may or may not be involved in their family that for, you know, in the at least you could say in society or in their inner circle are relatively functioning. Um, it's really, really targeting those people. The other conversation that I'm trying to, I want to make counseling therapy and support groups like AA and NAMI and other things as common as hiring a personal trainer or going to a group fitness class. Yes. So, and, and understanding that 10 to 20% of people, they're the ones that need like the high level stuff, but 80% that mm -hmm. all they will ever need is a counselor. So, and I think that if we can normalize counseling, if we can normalize hiring a life coach, if we can normalize having some therapy, we will do a better job at prevention and we'll do a better job at keeping people out of those high acuity emergency yes. type situations. Um, and I think it's by having conversations that create me too moments, like with just an average person or to have someone with some uh, you know, high credibility or high social cred to say, you know what, I, I've struggled with depression my whole life. And they're like, wait, you look like you got your stuff together. Right. Or, You're hey, smiling. My, yeah, right. Or me and my wife go to marriage counseling. I go, oh, I thought y'all had a great relationship. It's like, well, we, we, we do, do have a pretty yeah. good relationship, but you don't have to wait until your relationship and your marriage is on the ropes before you finally go, maybe we should get someone to help us, you know, kind mm -hmm. of a deal. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. And that's, and I think too, you know, for some, and I'm not necessarily saying everybody has to reach a bottom, like we talk about in the rooms all the time, because I don't think that that's necessarily the case, but I just think that a crash and burn moment is quite often a gift because it takes away all the, all the examples of how you still have your stuff together. If you can really crash and burn better yet, you crash and burn a couple times and go, damn, Every time I had a crash and burn moment, I tried to make a few tweaks so I wouldn't end up back there. And here I am again. Yep. And then here I am again. Yep. And so, um, so yeah, I think, I think they're lucky and I think you're right. The vast majority of people are the functioning type. And I, I just think that the solution to at least moving that conversation forward is getting your average person, not only comfortable with counseling and therapy, but to almost think it's cool. Yeah. To almost think that it's like, well, you know, a coach, uh, an athlete would hire a coach in a yeah. corporate environment. They assign you a mentor and 
in life we hire, we get like a life coach or like a counselor. Like that's a cool thing. And yeah. I, I want to use someone to help me be a better me and to be able to implement. It's not, I'm not weak. I'm not messed up and I'm not defective. It's actually a cool thing. And why wouldn't you? Why would, um, right. It's like you, you would, you would hire the best doctor if you had some sort of other problem. This is just a, someone to help you with your thoughts and your thinking. And, you know, I want to say something about the, the bottom thing. I think this is really important that the bottom is whenever you stop digging, your bottom could be a moment in your kitchen, in your beautiful home with your great job and your wonderful kids. And you feel as low as you've ever felt and as low as you want to feel your bottom does not have to look like the bottom you picture in, you know, whatever crazy story in my story or others, because the worst bottoms I've ever had were in sobriety. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I knew that was coming. They were the worst bottoms because and they were emotional bottoms and they had nothing to do with burning my life to the ground. They had to do with that, with, you know, not taking care of or or using other things to try to quiet that same stuff I'd been battling my whole life. So I know not only from experience, but from seeing other people and from having lots of friends who are sober, whose bottoms didn't look like mine, your bottom is just when you stop digging. Yeah. It's how it's an emotional feeling. And don't that can be it can be a crash and burn moment. You you have to decide. You have to stop digging. Stop yeah. digging. So when we say, I, mean, I look at, I, I I look at, and I agree, and that's why it's kind of a, it makes it a bit more difficult because again, everything is on a spectrum, and how right. you know we will say, well, nobody can really say you're an alcoholic. Only you can. Only you know if you experience the same thoughts, feelings, and emotions that we talk about of like hopelessness and unmanageability and powerlessness. But like, yeah, you'll hear people go, oh, I just, you know, I did X, Y, Z to my child or I rose my, or I acted in a particular way. They never lost a job. They never lost a marriage. And they go, I just knew at that point it was because of alcohol and drugs and I was done. And in a lot of ways, I mean, my, I, I got arrested four times in three years, which, uh, sounds pretty bad, but, um, are you kidding? Seems yeah. like a fluke. Whatever. <laughs> I got off of three of them. So in my mind, it was as if they, it never, they never happened. happened. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Get um, that. but like, I never lost a job. I never, we, I, I mean, I spent the night in jail, but I didn't go away, you know, go away to jail. <laughs> so in, in so many ways in my mind, I was right. like, I don't have an issue because I show up to work, I don't use it work, I right. pay my own bills, I'm fully self-supporting. But I kept going, but but why do I keep ending up here? Right. And and, and I am and did you have friends that ended up like were you using valid comparisons? We were, no, we were all using the same. And in in so many ways, I was the responsible one. I mean, I went on a um I went on like a summer, uh, what is it, a senior trip, right? Went to Cancun when we graduated. The the day I got back, I was working. Not eight to five, I was 17 years old. I got my real estate license at 18. I paid my own way. All of my other friends, what was, what was confusing to me was all my other friends would get in trouble for like uh, public intoxication, minor in possession, fighting in public, steal, doing dumb stuff. And I'm like, Y'all are effing idiots. Like, what are you doing? I, or I wouldn't stay out as late because I had to go to work. Right. 
But I kept, I would get like a DWI. I got two DWIs and two drug possessions. And it was like my first DWI was in high school. I was a senior. Um, my second one was two uh, drug possession two years later, another DWI a year later. And then four months later, I got another drug possession. So these things kept getting closer and closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were biggies on the scale. Like those were biggies. That wasn't like yeah. you're underage and drinking and here's a ticket. Like I was like, I mean, this was and where were, you were in where in Texas, a place called College Station is where Texas mm -hmm. A&M is. Yeah. But but what was interesting and even there's a couple moments that were kind of like not aha moments, but they were interesting. Number one, the first time I got a DWI I was a senior in high school. My parents were of the mind. My dad was a heavy drinker. I'd call him an alcoholic. But uh, one of his big deals was you show up to work every day. You pay right. your own bills. You do what you want. Right. Party hard. Do whatever you want. But if you show up and you pay your bills, nobody can tell you anything. So I went to jail on a Thursday night. I got out at some weird time, like five, six in the morning. I took a bath, shower, and I went to school. Right. So I was in jail. A couple hours later, I was I was at school. To show you some of the friends that I would hang out with, I told a guy, oh, dude, I got a DWI. I was in jail. He goes, oh, congratulations. Slap me up. Put something in my hand. I didn't know what it was. I didn't look at it. I didn't know what it was. Without even a thought in my mind, I walked straight in the bathroom and put that substance in my body. And only after I put the substance in my body and go, that's weird. I was just in jail and I'm in the bathroom using a substance. It's not my substance of choice, but I... I just, it wasn't even, there wasn't even a fight. There wasn't even something that was abnormal. There wasn't even like a, oh, yeah. um, a debate. It was just like, boom, I was using. So that was one time. The four, the the last time I got arrested. Wait, wait, what was the substance? What uh, turn, coke. What? Yeah, oh, okay. Coke, cocaine, okay. yeah. And so, uh, but like, I don't. Uh, well, I just anyway. curious if it was turned out to be something, you know, no. exciting or, no, no. you know, like, I mean, I, my big deal, I like to smoke weed. I like to drink alcohol and I like to binge on hard stuff. And that was also part of this training that I had as from my parents, which was uh, and my parents were pretty open. My dad was a newspaper publisher. My mom was a hairstylist. We're always about town. One of the cool things that you know, was neat about my, my dad is at one hand on one night, he could be hanging out with lawyers and bankers and, and doctors. And the next night he could be hanging out with plumbers and electricians and some dive bar, you know? Right. And he knew everybody in town, but he was like, look, you know, most people drink alcohol and maybe smoke weed and you can, and he's saying, there's people that you wouldn't even imagine that are prominent people in our town that do that. But the, when you start messing with hard stuff, that's when all bets are off. So if you can stick with the weed and alcohol, now I'm like 16, 17, 18 years old, right? My my parent, my dad had the same conversation. It was beer, yeah. beer and weed. Beer and weed. Yeah. And it's like, you look, you get, you're going to be like, hey, you're going to do an experiment. Right, right. Don't drink and drive. Don't smoke weed. But if you do, <laughs> stick with this, right? Right. Isn't that right? It's like, what? Well, and Don't and, drink and drive. But if you do, don't give a breathalyzer because you might be able to get off right. of it. If you do, if you yeah. do. It, it, don't it, smoke weed. But if you do, but only if you carry do. enough you can eat or throw. Right, right. And I'm like, oh, all right. That sounds <laughs> right, good. Right, exactly. Like, but but it, like it, this, that was a – I totally – 
I, we had the same conversation. Like if you keep your life together, literally the same conversation, if you can keep your life together, people, you can do what you want, but you need to be responsible. And I had this conversation like in middle school. Yeah. But I, I, unlike you, I did not keep, I couldn't keep a thing together. So I didn't have quite the, the, the juggling of like, well, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and two, like it's, uh, I think it's so important. And and this is what I like and, and am totally biased to with support groups. Okay. I am a big fan of, of support groups, AA, NA, NAMI, smart, whatever it is. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one, you don't have to pay for it. One person argues you do. Touche, right? Like you put some money in the basket when you can or whatever. But like the ability to walk into a room anywhere, anytime and to to be around people that have a common language, that Mm -hmm. think similarly, that I can that I can reach out for help before I actually need it. and, And I can identify with you, Ashley, who is a uh, different gender, a different background, a different part of the country, different drugs of choice. You were absolutely batshit out of control. I was kind of sort of out of control. But if we, if when we're sitting in that chair and you talk about your thoughts, feelings, yep. attitudes, and behaviors, I go, well, shit, I, I'm just like her. Mm-hmm. She just looks differently, uses different stuff. Her story is a little bit the same, but we are the same. The same. Right. We're, because we're both trying in our own ways to change the way we feel from the neck up in order to feel better than we feel. And yep. and we're using my mine were a little more insane, but we're using whatever I it's kind of my favorite thing in the world. Attic logic. Attic logic is just amazing. Ah. We're using I, I have so many it's Come just on, my hey, it's my favorite like thing. people go People say, well, they did this and they did that. Can you believe that? And I'm like, yeah, I can. Actually, sounds very logical to me. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that's pretty smart if you ask me. They're going, what? Yeah, yeah, I just, and I love, you know, every now and again, I'll be like, let me explain to you how I got to that. But so, addict, we're using, you know, you're using addict logic around having a job and showing up and taking, you know, whatever. And we're using addict logic to try to make, this thing that makes us feel better work. It's the yeah. same. We feel like shit. We're trying to feel better. We're trying to use crazy logic that in our heads makes sense. I mean, when I wrote in Sharpie on my syringes, my first and last name so that other people wouldn't use them and share needles because if you shared needles, then, then you, you had, really a had a problem. So if I wrote my organized. first and last you organized name, dope in you. well, that is problematic when p- law enforcement finds it yeah. and says, who does this belong to? And you're the dumbass who put your name on it. Right. Like, but yeah. my, I didn't write it, sir. It's not my handwriting. Right. I don't know. What, I don't know what you're talking about, but see, why would they do that the, in the police report? Right. That looks insane. But in my head, that is addict. Like that made total sense. Right. So, so your logic, right. We're the same in that. We just, we use this logic, your dad, you know, whatever, like if it's an amount you can eat or your friend handed it to you, addict logic, you come back, you know, your friend wants to get you high in a good way. It's, they just handed it to you. You're going to go like, there's no thought there. You know that you don't want to feel the way you feel. So it makes complete 
sense. We are we are the same in that. And I I've been um I've been emotionally moved to tears, which is not a huge regular thing for me, but I have been What? You can feel your feelings and cry, Ashley. It's getting worse as I get older. Um I, well, I, I was gonna I was gonna um I want to talk about that in a minute, but go on. I've got a theory, not maybe not a theory, but go on. I have have been moved to tears by sitting in rooms all over the world with people who look nothing like me, who have no experience the same as I do. Like we, you know, and they describe how I feel. I mean, it is, it it, it is, I've seen people, you know, they, they might as well have been a different species and they described how I feel. And it is, it is quite something. And I, I hope once in everybody's lifetime, they get that feeling because to be understood that way, especially when you feel like, oh my God, I'm really crazy. There's something really wrong with me. To be understood that way is such a healing gift. Yeah. And I think that there is something, there's a lot of layers that I think about with with that, this topic is that is one of the reasons why I like support groups is by, I do not want addicts and we have a tendency to do this addict and alcoholic because we think we're so <laughs> unique and we think we're so special that we're the only one that have these feelings of helplessness, uselessness, right. worthlessness, fear. No, everybody has it, mm-hmm. right? We have, we have fatal reactions to regular we, feelings. Well, and what we have is the repercussions of us acting out behind drugs and alcohol is much more severe. It's kind of right. like right. there's plenty of people that have allergies, but if your allergy is shrimp and your throat closes up, like... The repercussions of you even, you know, being in the vicinity of a shrimp is is higher than mine. And so that's what I'm kind of, it's like if someone that is a heavy drinker or sometimes drinker or user and they cut, they say, you know what, I'm having some problems. I'm going to cut back. They cut back. They lose willpower and they have a binge. For them, no big deal. For us, major deal. Well, right? that's, that's the, that, so we, you and I, so. Uh, that's my, what's unique is my point. The yes, feelings. The, the reaction. The, the, that's not unique. The, right. the uniqueness is the allergy to mind and mood altering substances. And I would even say, you were talking about substances that change the way we feel or make us feel better. I would say I'm addicted to anything that will change the way I feel. Even if it makes me feel worse, I just want to feel different than now because right. I can't stand being in my skin, right. feeling the way I feel in this moment. And I will do something that has nothing to do with drugs and alcohol. I'll feel totally worse after it, mm-hmm. but I'd rather that than being in the moment in my skin. Right. Right. And yeah. that's become more apparent since I quit using uh-huh. than, than when I was using. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a super fun phenomenon. I would say, get ready, buckle up. <laughs> all the we good- just getting started. Yeah, we just get started. When people are like, oh, I'm sober. I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, you are. Yeah. You're about to see all the fun stuff come Good. out. I had a, I had a guy <laughs> and, and th- this is like what's happened in the la- in my life in the last three years. has just been kind of magical. When we talk about miracles and, uh, you know, it makes sometimes even makes me uncomfortable talking about it because it seem it can seem so esoteric. Right. But I, um, there's been so many times in my years where I went down the path of personal development. If you could just write goals and visualize and call it, you know, say it out loud and call it into action and all this kind of stuff, both professionally in my family, et cetera. And I've tried so many things and it never worked. 
And it was almost this, I specifically remember I was in, I was living in Philadelphia. I was in a job I couldn't stand. Um, I didn't see getting out of it. I was tired of trying to get out of it. And I just said, you know what? I'm done. This is what my life is. I'm just going to work 60 hours a week, whatever. I went to this weekend. It was called uh, the Landmark Forum. Yep. The most profound weekend I've ever had. It was great. I also was reluctant. I didn't write any goals down there. I didn't have any big purpose. I just said, look, I just want to get clear on my profession. I'm sick and tired. I'm tired of setting goals. I'm tired of setting intentions. I don't know what the hell to do. <laughs> right. I'm tired of this shit. And uh, that year I made more money than I ever made. I didn't change anything. No goals. I didn't work more. I didn't work less. I didn't change my attitude. I didn't do anything. I made more money than I'd ever made. I paid off all my debt. We had money set aside. We visited Columbus, Ohio on a whim. We all liked it. Me, my wife, my in-laws. Three days later, we put our house on the market. We moved three months later. I totally changed careers and jobs. I started a podcast. And I'm and it's as if nothing, it's as if I did nothing to make that change. Like I did not journal about it. I didn't create a vision board. I didn't go, God, what I really want is to change career and move. I didn't do any of that. And it just happened, right? It's like the difference between trying to wrestle joy and satisfaction out of life and to really be trust in the process in the moment. Mm -hmm. Because I think when, when you talk about trust in the process and being in the moment and experience of happiness, joyousness, and freedom, I think what that means is, I should feel good. Everything should be going my way. I should have a bunch of money in the bank. Me and my wife should be getting along and everything should be awesome. Mm -hmm. I've, I forget the fact that I, that being in the moment also means that there's a time for struggle. There's a time for losing. There's a time for struggling no! with your mental health. Right. There's a time for I winning. I'm in recovery. Isn't that enough? I should be great. Don't Do you, you know, know how long I've been sober? I always think to myself, this is this is my recent thing is I quit sugar because I have the reaction to sugar that I have to alcohol and it's taken me. Well, you like snort it when available? <laughs> I is mean, that what you're saying? I'm not going to say I do or don't. No. Addict logic. Yeah, I, I did. I, I snorted coffee in uh, in rehab and that's a whole nother story. That was a terrible experience. No, don't do that. Hurt. Um, well, very much so. Uh, but I, so I could, and, and my... It, in all my time, you know, I've known that's a problem for a long time, but in all my time in recovery, I've been like, oh, no, no, I'm not quitting anything else. I've already quit all Justified. these things. Mm -hmm. You are not taking I am this away not, from me. Like, I am not, and I, I was that way with cigarettes. I was like, and everything, it's like, I, everything in my head is, no, you are not taking, taking this thing from me. You are not, you know, and that's my recovery has been, a, there's been a lot of that. Like, I am not, I have already given up so much. I have yeah. already. And the thing that had to shift was my perception and kind of what you're talking about, which is I, 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 what I gained was so much more than what I gave up. And so I'm focused. I continue to focus on, you know, and this is the, like, I, you know, the brat, right. Or, or the whiner, like I continue to focus on no, you have taken, I had to quit cigarettes and cocaine and boys and girls and alcohol and, you know, whatever. And I had to quit breaking the law and doing all these things. My life's so hard and I deserve, I deserve, insert whatever it is, right? Yeah. And sugar, caffeine, sugar, caffeine, whatever. whatever. 
Um, and now it's I that shift, that focus what has is like, what did I gain? What have I gained? Yeah. What what freedom have I gained? And the and sometimes what you gain, and this was this has been so hard, and this is what I, I always laugh about the like buckle up for recovery. Um I've gained the clarity to see where I need to work. I was like, no, no, no. I wanted to gain happiness and rainbows <laughs> and unicorns that, and money. That's, actually, that's I just got that. That's pretty legit. Right. That's like, like but the that's clarity not, of nowhere to work, not like I'm going to be happy all the time and right, loaded. Right. Like the freedom. Financially loaded, not. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> exactly. I like this new loaded. Yeah. The freedom. I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I, I want my, my idea is I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be free. Right. So I put down the sugar, right? Because that was like, I, freedom is more important than sugar. You know what happened is now I have the clarity to see the problem. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh-uh. No, no. This is, I want to just, just clarity, just like yeah. clear, you know, blue skies, like take me to Montana. It's beautiful, happy. But no, this is the, the gift is often in the ability, the freedom, the clarity, right? Because you stop using and you get the clarity to see what the work you need to do is. Yeah. I, I was actually, it's funny because I had that experience recently where um, I really struggled uh, and have struggled over the last, I feel better maybe the last month, but before that I was struggling with like this COVID shutdown. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know it. Basically, I don't like being at home. I don't, something in my mind shifts, which my wife and in-laws can't stand it because they live with us is that when I get home, I want to do nothing. I want to either watch TV. I want to go to the park with my son. Like nothing that involves responsibility or other than what I want to do. Right. When COVID shut down, we had to work from home. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. Well, for the first couple of months, it was fine. I was making meetings virtually. I was right. making calls. Right. Whatever. Me too. Yeah. But slowly mm -hmm. what happened was, um, you know, the calls. I make a lot of calls on the road. You know, I get on the road and I go, OK, I'm going to make five calls before I start a podcast or 10 calls. So that what keeps me connected. I've been doing that for years. Um, so I didn't wasn't making phone calls. I slowly cut out my meetings. I was only doing one or two a week, but I'm like, well, it's seven o'clock. It's still bright. You know, cut that out. And before you know it, my my my. Uh, world. world yeah got so small and then i'm waking up never experiencing this before huge knot in my gut going oh my god what's happening i'm mm -hmm. gonna get found out mm -hmm. I, everything all of my fears were just like times 10 and i just i mean it made mentally i was sick i was experiencing anxiety impression on an, enough of a scale that it actually you know it was a big deal so i started doing 30 meetings in 30 days uh, uh, getting up a little bit earlier, breath work, you know, like kind of doing all the stuff that I know Back I should have basics. been doing in the first place. That's right. That's right. And, um, and, and things started to get better, started making the phone calls. Now we're going out a bit, but I mean, it scared the crap out of me. And right. it's like yes. this idea that, you know, in, in a lot of circles, we will say, or you will hear people say, well, at least you're aware of it, Ashley. Isn't yeah. that so great? Yes, that's my favorite. I'm like, yeah, go, that doesn't mean I'm shit. I'm like, well, in the beginning, yes, uh -huh. it's great, Ashley. Now you know where you need to work. But if you're still saying the same shit five years later about the same stuff, awareness in itself is not a solution. We have to get into action. We've got to get into solution. 
all this knowledge. Oh, that's where I was uh, going with this was when I was doing those 30 meetings in 30 days, one of the topics was um, self-pity comes up. I'm like, I don't have self-pity. What are you talking about? And I, as I started sharing, I was saying, <laughs> I've been doing this for 18 years. Why do I still have to come back to these meetings? Right. Why do I still have to work on the knot in my gut that's deeper than it was the last time? And I thought I worked through that shit. And now there's more shit under there. Right. Like, why do I mm-hmm. have to keep looking at this stuff? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's why does everybody else, why does everybody else seem to seem to be able to function in life without having to do crazy introspective? Why am I constantly on a path of like self-discovery. I would love to no longer discover self. Like I'm over it. I I don't want to do it. (laughs) I I, Screw the journey. I want to be at the mountaintop (laughs) and just chill there. I feel like I get to the mountaintop. Can I just chill? I get to the mountaintop and I'm, I sit down and they're like, no, 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 no. no, the, no yeah. No. Then you go no. to sleep and then you wake up and you're like, damn, where'd the mountaintop go? That, I'm a base camp. What? <laughs> Man, I got to do it again. I got a funny story for you about sugar because I also, you know, getting sober young, staying sober a long time, people will say, and I equally in passing will go, I think I'm really a drug addict and alcohol. I mean, maybe I was just. Well, how old were you when you got sober? I've been 21 for a month. 21. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. yes. So you definitely so I turned, go through, I think I turned is it a phase? Did I? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I turned 21, was in rehab a month later. To, uh, Friday, I'll be 40. A month later, I'll have 19 years. So it was real, real close. But yeah. um, when I doubt, all I have to do is look at my caffeine intake and my sugar intake. I, and yes, we are the same. Like, it's not even a, if I just look no. at that, it's not even a question. This is um, a funny story. So I lived in Philadelphia for eight years. I, uh, our regular doctor was a Chinese medicine doctor. Yes. And he would say things like, he's like, dude, you need to get off the caffeine um, because I need to figure out if what I think is going on uh, is the issue. And you know, for most people, they go, why do you got to get all the caffeine? Well, because I drink 16 cups of caffeine a day. That's why. Um, but uh, so in my infinite wisdom, I go, well, if I'm going to get off the caffeine, I might as well get off the sugar. Right. So the <laughs> doctor did not say get off the sugar. He said get off the caffeine. So I abstain for, I want to say somewhere around seven days. Right. And on Thursdays, I would drive 45 minutes to New Jersey to a sales meeting early in the morning. Okay. So in my mind, I'm going, you know how they talk about relapses are planned, even though people don't admit they're planned? It's a process. Relapse is a process. That's right. Picking up is the last step in the process, and it probably happened yep. a hundred decisions, a thousand decisions ago. Yep. But I went to bed thinking in my mind, you know, I know there's going to be donuts there. And the doctor didn't say, don't mm-hmm. eat sugar. So I'll have a donut makes perfect perfect sense right the my yep. the thing i was trying to abstain from was caffeine i go to sleep i wake up 45 minute drive all i can think of is this donut right i get over there i get there late the donuts and coffee are on the other side of the room so i can't walk across the thing so what do you think i sit in that chair and obsess about for an hour oh the donuts donuts and oh. coffee wasn't he Coffee wasn't even in my mind, Ashley. Right, because you right? hadn't made the decision about coffee. No. This is like when, for those of y'all listening, this is like when you say, 
as long as I don't smoke crack, as long as I don't do heroin, as long as I don't pick up my drug of choice, I'm fine. Meanwhile, nothing wrong with weed, nothing wrong with a little alcohol, whatever. They didn't tell me to get off the alcohol. They just said, get off the heroin. But so I'm thinking about this donut. When the meeting ends, I beeline for the donut shop, for the donut table. Everybody, I grab one donut, take a bite. I'm like, what am I doing? I double fist it, uh-huh. two donuts. Yeah. Everybody else is coming up and getting a donut and sitting down. I didn't sit down. I stood there because right. I knew what was about to happen. You got to eat it and then get another. I, I was about to binge, yeah. right? In then suddenly, <laughs> right? In fr- yeah. No. Now, nobody really <laughs> knows what's going on. Meanwhile, I'm the double fister up there that's going to give me more, you know. Then suddenly. <laughs> you know, it's after, bad when you have to do it in front of people. What's crazy is a couple of bites in, one side, one hand. Right. Second, suddenly the thought crosses my mind that a half a cup of coffee would be really okay with really good. Yeah. donuts. Like, doesn't that make sense? I mean, I'm already doing the donuts. And what's wrong with the half a cup of coffee? Well, six cup of coffees later. And about eight donuts later, I'm going, how did this happen to me again? And this was like, this was like, I had probably 15 years sober at this point. Like this is, that is what my addiction looks like, whether it's weed, alcohol, or anything else is that addict thinking. And what's interesting, what I was telling you about earlier is it's not that we have unique feelings. It's we've got that thing, that allergy, that weird addict thinking that says, I did not, I backed myself into a corner to drink the substance that I knew I wasn't supposed right. to, Right. but at no point did it cross my mind that I have any intention of drinking that substance. Right. But you don't no have point. to. I you was, don't have to. No defense. Yep. yep. No defense. So, and then I go, how did I end up here again? I yeah. can't believe it. Actually, I used to get what's going your, on. Slamming your fits on the table. I love oh, it. My oh my God. God. I, so, yeah. so what I realized was in, in the same vein was, that, um, you know, I, I, I got off sugar and flour, um, but sugar is the how main. recently, uh, two and a half months ago is like, was like, I mean, I've gotten off of it and I've been in overeaters anonymous for several years, but I've, I was like, okay, I'm going to get off. This Are you following up, uh, uh, a book of any sort or are you just doing no flour? I'm no doing, sugar? um, bright line eating. Um, yeah, I haven't heard of that. My, my wife's, uh, Alan sponsor has been in, OA for 20 something years. I identify an OA 100% and I've been off, um, I've been kind of keto esque for about the last four plus okay. months, but I keep having this like, I, I just keep, ha- I just had a binge on, on banana pudding yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm oh, doing yeah. decently, but it's just like, I, I, I actually, I, I cannot stand the food, the, the issues I have with food. It's, I, I, it's ridiculous. I, can't even begin to tell you, but one thing I realized, and you just said this, was I all getting sober young and having all the ideas around phase, whatever. But like you've heard my story, the idea that I would think anything was a phase is hysterical. However, I have still thought look, that it's possible. It's it possible. could be. Come on, and I mean, everybody says yeah. phases are possible. I mean, people do weird things, so. I believe that my food issues simultaneously will be the thing that would take me out and is also the thing that keeps me sober because it is the thing that causes me the most pain, you know, whatever. It's it's the it's the last 
you know, it's that when you peel the onion, it's the first addiction. It's the, the la- you know, the first one and the last one to go. And so my behavior around it is so similar, like you said, to it's my close. addiction, like to the point that is actually quite frightening. Like I really genuinely like, what is this? But so it reminds me if I ever, like you said, if I ever doubt <laughs> that I have a problem, I look at that by that on that, you know, the flip side of that coin is that if I don't deal with that, I know it's going to be the thing that take that ends my sobriety because yeah. of how it makes me feel. And, and eventually, so it's been this, this, what I felt both it as a curse and as a gift, because I have genuinely thought to myself over the years, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic, but if I'm anything like how I am around sugar, then I'm definitely an alcoholic and I'm just going to trust that it's still the same since that is going on. I think that's one thing that I really love about Narcotics Anonymous and the way that they talk about using is when I got, I got clean in Narcotics Anonymous. I had a really hard time identifying with Alcoholics Anonymous um, because my entire career was underage. I didn't, alcohol was not my drug of choice. Um, I was kind of, I thought I was like this hip city slicker. And there was a lot of country folk in my Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. The, the, the verbiage was a little too close to religion Uh to me. I was intimidated (laughs) about the verbiage because I couldn't read very well. All these things. Right. Okay. But the thing I like about how Narcotics Anonymous talks is they don't specify a substance. So when I'm sitting, me and you are sitting in a meeting and I say, Ashley, you know, I was obsession about assessing about using today. You put in your drug of choice, food, men, work, whatever you're struggling at that point. But you put your substance that you're struggling with in the place of using. Yep. So I can talk and we can talk about about the same Yep. About the same thing. And it doesn't matter that this person preferred meth and this person was an alcoholic and this person was whatever. Or if 10 years into your recovery, you're struggling with food, it doesn't necessarily replace OA because you, if, if it is an, enough of an issue, you need to be there. So you're talking about people with food plans and stuff. But if I'm struggling with my relationships or sleeping around or whatever, you're struggling with food and we got a newcomer talking about you know, when they say user talking about crack, me, you and them can be on the same page because we're not specifying substance. I really like that. I also have a bit of an, I'm, I, I got all these talk ideas, but one of them is the importance of not classifying substances and looking at things as units of substance. Now, what I mean by that is I got a buddy um, when he's really getting bad, he takes, you know, 10 to 15 Vicodin a day. And then he smokes a little bit and he drinks a little bit. Fully functioning. He's got a business, whatever. But in his mind, when he gets up doing that, he he, he thinks that's an issue. So what he'll do is he'll lower his Vicodin intake and his drinking and weed intake will increase. But if you're looking at it, if you're just looking at substances, as many of us, we don't even think weed and alcohol is a big deal. So if he look, just looks at his Vicodin intake, he goes from 15 to three, that's pretty good. But if he raises his alcohol and weed intake up, the units haven't changed. So he's using the same amount of substance, right? Just the name changes. Right. And so I think going back to this idea of 80, the 80% of people 
that don't understand addiction, if they would track their family members or their spouses or their kids or their unit use and realize they're a 20 to 30 unit user a day, regardless of what it is, it keeps them under this false sense of security that they don't have an issue as long as they're not using hard drugs or as long as they're not drinking alcohol, but they're freaking smoking weed around the cock and then taking pills to go to sleep. You, you follow what I'm saying here? Totally. It's like a, totally. the importance of not saying these are good. These are bad. This is what an right. addict looks like. This is what, this is good. This right. is what a real alcoholic looks like. It just, it keeps people sick and it doesn't, it keeps the, that door closed as a, like sh- what you had said, like sh- it shows me what I need to work on. If you're classifying substances and you're hanging around a bunch of people that, that look, act, parent, work the way you do, you have no clue what you need to work on. Right. Because everybody's the same. Right. So anyway, just a, just a couple of important points that I think people should look at as a whole to be able to go, maybe I do have an issue because- I always picture, you know, when they talk about trying to come up with like the perfect calculation, like the perfect formula, Mm -hmm. just the right amount of high without going over that. I always picture a guy at a, um, like at NASA. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like like, trying to like control the space shuttle with all the like gadgets and whatever. That's what it feels like. like, (laughs) like. like it's running no turn it this way no hold on and it's like running across the running across the three trying totally. to get the calculation right i got it now we're going. that's exactly how i imagine my my using uh-huh. or my trying to control my life if i could just get it right and yeah. it's just a never end never ending like but yeah 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 while turning you know yeah it's uh, like those old TVs. You have the antenna to make the screen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like, don't move. No, no. Okay, now move. Look to left. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. Uh, I. I think. Wh- I. I completely agree with you, and I love the units. The you know, I think what depending on the substance, people feel uh, different strengths of emergency and yeah. urgency, and so the ability to see your food as coping. Um, you know, I've been amazed at how many people who have a lot of sobriety, a lot of introspection around a lot of things, and they have this blind spot, right? And I did too. And so I feel like one of the, the barriers to people seeing these other things as problems is that they they don't create the urgency quite the same way. But if you are looking for self-discovery, if you are looking to get better, if that is something you are thinking about in terms of your mental health, then and you're open to that, then I I think you will find how many things you actually use. And 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 one thing that I think we're all doing, um, particularly pandemic days, is is our phones. You know, I think we just absolutely. I know my husband and I do very. We check out on our phones and. I think, you know, I, I really do. I see everything within my body is going, yes, I know, but you can't take that numbing away from me. I'm literally sending a text right now going, oh yeah, actually I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm like, I'm not trying to take it from you. I'm just. Everything away from me, Ashley. See, see, this is what I'm talking about. It's, you get that feeling of like, no, 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 no. You're not going to, that, 
that's that's different. And I I feel like Ashley, I'm aware, but I'm not doing shit about it. I, well, I love when I love that you said. Well, you, at least you have the awareness because I can't begin to tell you how many times, particularly. <laughs> I have my husband and I are both in recovery and we have three and a half year old twin boys, you know, and so they uh, we always, you know, talk about like alcoholism in our home and that kind of thing. And and, uh, you know, be like, well, you'll be prepared because you have the awareness. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know how long it takes for me to get my own awareness about things I'm thinking about? and doing? Oh, my God. I mentioned all the people that have like, you know, their parents are you know, big time psychiatrists or oh, yeah. people in recovery and they got these badass kids that have spun out, they're homeless. They can't, it's just like, well, and there's not a chance, you know what, Brene Brown chance. actually has a good, she actually has a good perspective uh, is um, she, the way she educates her kids is to be open about it, to talk, talk about the genetic component, yeah. yes, the yes. thoughts, behaviors, the generational stuff, and basically just go and look. I'm not saying don't, but you're kind of walking around with a loaded gun. Yeah. And it's your responsibility to be aware of that. And I have to imagine, she says it real calmly from the stage, but I have to imagine, as I even just think about my son's only four, is like being terrified. Like you don't want to tell your kid don't do something because it, if it's like me, I'm going to want to do it anyway. But right. Just being terrified. And then also, you know understanding and, and giving, um, you know, I, I guess being careful to say that, look, if I could drink and use drugs successfully, I would. Right. <laughs> or to say, there's plenty of people out there that drink, smoke a little weed and on occasion do a little Coke and it's not an issue. And they do this weird thing where they go, you know what, I'm going to cut back. And they go, oh, let's cut back. And they cut back. Right. Like, but that doesn't, that doesn't compute for me. No. So I don't want to like paint this picture that nobody should smoke weed or drink alcohol or right. do whatever. Um, but the risk is higher for some and our kids are included in that. And I'm going, Oh man, this is yeah. so uncomfortable. Well, and, and they, you know, they also have, you know, a whole new technological world of, you know, people were, as somebody saw something, people are buying drugs through like resale clothing apps. You know, I'm not going to know about that. People are mm. buying drugs I've never heard of, you know, they're doing things I don't know about. So my, you know what scares my, me is like with weed, at least like you could smell it. And now with them vaping and all that kind of stuff, there's so many things that you actually can't smell. So you're like, I just, the synthetic, the amount of synthetic stuff. It's like when, you know, I, I feel very old, but like we did real drugs. Like we did like, you know, we're we're venturing into the same thing that our parents did. Totally. The stuff you do is so much stronger. We didn't do that at least. We just totally. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, pretty sure you had cocaine in the eighties. So not, (laughs) (laughs) not, I don't think that's true. And you had quaaludes, which I could never find. But so, but like, you know, 15 is, I say 15 Vicodin, the amount of aspirin you are ingesting or Oxycontin, the amount of, of acetaminophen and other chemicals you're ingesting just to get the opiate. Are you saying that they should be like a real uh, purist and just do straight heroin? I mean, I'm not, I'm, that's what I would do, right? That's like the organic way. Here's the thing. I just think that you it's like, why be a heroin, an opiate addict and have liver failure? 
True. Right? Do you really th- were you really thinking about that, Ashley? Oh, well, you were thinking about clean needles, maybe. Oh, I I thought about every aspect of this, particularly because people started coming into treatment and they were like, I'm not, I'm not bad. I only take my mom's Vicodin. And they were like taking 70 pills a day, something like absolutely so outrageous. Or people are taking um, you know, an incredible amount of ambient or incredible. I was like, what are you doing? Do you understand that there's so much other stuff in there? Like, why? What are you? What's happening here? And people, and this this idea that it's not that bad because it's from a doctor or each pill is a certain you know you know exactly what it is. I'm like, yeah, you know exactly what it is. But you know, again, these are all things where I don't feel like I'm going to be prepared for whatever my kids come up with because it'll be different. It'll be different from whatever I did. Yeah, and I think just even the. I think that's the the area in which I carry the most shame, guilt, struggle the most is uh, at home with my parenting and my husbanding. And and I'm in this weird place. I think this is something I was going to talk to you about um, earlier that I mentioned is the older I get, um, the my knowledge goes up, but my ability my ability to implement or my ability to control my my feelings is going down. It's kind of like in athletics, right? <laughs> you have a young buck and they're like, they're strong and they're fit and they can run through a brick wall, but they don't have the, in, the sports intellect. Mm-hmm. And then I'm a big fan of the UFC. And so you get these fighters, they've got so much fighter IQ but their body has given up on them. <laughs> yeah, because they're getting right? hit in the head a thousand times. That's right. Times. Well, there's that, yeah. <laughs> but it happens in all kinds of sports. But I experienced that, that I, I have been able to manage, manipulate, and control my emotions, my behaviors. Um, You're at peak mental illness. <laughs> yeah. Like, if it, mental it's, illness it's, were a sport, we'd be good. It's like, I don't, that's why I'm, I'm like, it's being, it's becoming more and more profound when I say all the knowledge in the world does not prevent me from, from losing my damn temper as a parent or my thinking that because I'm always scared of getting in trouble that the minute my wife says one word to me, I think she's chastised me and I'm like, what's it to you? And I'm like, why did I just act like that? Why am I walking around on eggshells thinking that she's, I'm going to be in trouble for something? But I, I guess like as people get older, like the more and more responsibilities thrown on, you get the kid, you get the longer term marriage. Like I've the older I've gotten, my knowledge has gone up, but it's it's as if my emotional state is so much more uncontrollable. And part of that is because I've been resting on my laurels and I've been trying to use my intellect to power through. Right. Or as one of our books says, trying to wrestle joy and satisfaction out of life. Um, with self-will and self-propulsion. And that's so much more, I guess that's kind of part of how I back myself into a corner here recently is I don't think I should have to do everything that you had to do when you were new. Like, I don't think I, I don't want to be on, have to be on guard all the time. I don't want to have to pray and meditate yes. every morning. Yes. I don't want to have to check in with people and see how they're doing. And be like, I don't want to freaking do that. Yeah. Like, the haven't I arrived? Is, haven't I, haven't I done enough? Right. And I think that, that, you know, Bill W talks about that at somewhere around, you know, in the 20 something years, he writes a, a grapevine article about emotional sobriety and about, mm-hmm. 
I, I think that's why people with long-term sobriety and recovery um, will say uh, the longer I stay sober, the narrower the path gets. Mm-hmm. And that never made sense to me. Cause I'm like, what are you talking about? You got 10 years, you got five years, you got 15 years. Don't you have that shit figured out? But it's actually more, yeah. it's actually harder to stay on the path, but it's also more important to stay on the path because oftentimes people in long-term recovery, sometimes they don't use, they actually commit suicide. Right. Right. Sometimes they don't use, yes. they actually go mentally insane. Sometimes they don't yes. use and they do, they get divorced and kind of blow their life up. Yep. Never using drugs and alcohol, but because they haven't yep. dealt with their thoughts, feelings, have a massive emotions affair, and <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. And it's and it's just because um, I don't know if you you ever read the book called The Shack. I tried. Yeah, I, I, well, I've been listening to it okay. on audiobook. I read it a long time ago. There's a movie, but I've been down this this uh, rabbit hole with the author's name's uh, William Paul Young, and he's got a really interesting. I'm not religious. I wouldn't consider myself, you know, a follower of any religion at all. But I like kind of the the way that he kind of talks about Christianity leaning spirituality. And that's, you know, a lot of the people in the Western world, they're kind of Christian leaning. So I like to be able to identify things. Yeah. But one of the things that he said was. Spiritual growth or personal growth, or sobriety and recovery, he said, I used to think of it as a circle, like we're going through this transformation, he said, but actually it's more like a spiral, and it's spiraling down, Hmm. because what we're doing is we're kind of like peeling an onion, or we're peeling a potato, like those curly cues, it's like as you're growing, it just goes a little bit deeper, and a little bit deeper, and a little bit deeper, and on one hand, it makes a lot of sense, on the other hand, it pisses me off, because I don't want to go deeper, I just want to go, I just want to become evolved, I want to go, oh my god, Ashley, that's so profound, that's great, let me chill. Yeah, totally, I, listen, I am, I, I completely, I, I keep thinking to myself, like, uh, like oh, oh okay okay this I is this I get it. and also my husband doesn't have to work as hard as I do to stay sober which really pisses me off because like he just never like he'll I don't know he's just not as disturbed as I am or how, how long have you been sober I have I took 14 years in January and my husband is 17 or 18 years yeah yeah that's a. Uh... I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I think that I've had um, one of the cool, I guess, cool and sucky things about being sober <laughs> a long time is my sponsor would always say there are times in recovery where things that were never an issue become an issue. Yay! And, yeah. Or things that you thought you dealt with come back. Oh, Yes. And yes. I'm just like, uh, and that, you know what that, that has helped me do Ashley is, um, to be more accepting and less judgmental, even though mm-hmm. I didn't think I was judgmental anyway, but I'm like going, dude, I fucked with that last week. Like I just thought that <laughs> or, or my four-year-old's throwing a fit on the floor. And my response to that is basically like a six-year-old. And I'm like, oh yeah. I, number one, I know he got that from me. And number two, oh, yeah. I act I act that way with my wife. And I'm freaking <laughs> 40 and I'm acting like a six-year-old. But doesn't it feel good? Sometimes I just sometimes you just want to I watch my kids sometimes start temper tantrum and I'm like, I so desperately would like to lay down right next to you 
and Just kick my feet it. and do the same thing. Like I oh, genuinely man. feel like doing that sometimes. And, you know, it's only my, it's only my somewhat evolvedness that I can even yeah. try not to do that. But yeah, I mean, we, that, that going back to that, you know, I, I, when I had kid, when my, when my boys were born when the twins were born, um, all of my childhood stuff that I'd done EMDR, I'd done, I mean, the amount of hours of therapy I had done on like early childhood sexual trauma and all this crap that I had dealt with for, yeah. for like, I really had dealt with. They came back and I was in the, I was, I went back to therapy. I had taken a break and I went back to therapy and I was like, this is bullshit. I do yeah. not. I have dealt with it. Like I came yeah. to therapy to explain to this woman. <laughs> she was like, okay, why are you here? Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, I just want you to know I have done the work, you know, like, I, I don't know what's wrong, but it, it came back and, and it's just this constant evolution. And there is, you know, the payoff is, is better than not doing it. Cause I, you and I have both done the thing where we're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to get better. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? You know, and then yeah. I'm like, okay, fine. This is horrible. And so then we get better, right? We get the freedom, we get the clarity and it is better than staying in the mental illness and staying in the, in the sickness. But I think really what we're talking about is the fact that we have lifelong mental illness and it's not going anywhere. It's not, yeah. it's just not. So we can either, and this is, this is one thing I realized, like I'm going to use with or without my permission. I'm going to use sugar. I'm going to use flour. I'm going to use, I'm going to use, I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to, whatever I'm going to do, right? I am going to use with or without my permission. So I can mm, either participate in a way that I feel good about and try to prevent that, or I can stomp my feet and wait for it to happen. But what I realized after the twins were born was that I am going to use with or without my permission. Because I, like that. I, um... I have to, I have to calm that voice in my head, that, that radio static. I have to, it happens automatically. I will do it automatically. So I get to be part of the game and I get to have a say and sit at the table with my mental illness and talk about how are we going to handle this? Or mm. I can leave the room and say, you, I'm not dealing with this and all the decisions are going to be made for me. And that is just the way it is. And it doesn't matter how long I'm sober. I, that, that's really good because you're, you're right. And I think it goes back to, you know, um, what I was saying earlier is about how the stakes are so high, Yeah, you know, like, and they weren't you know, when for, we were 20, we were 19, yeah. when we got sober, no stakes. Yeah, no stakes, man. Because you're you're right. Again, it's not that the normies don't have mental breakdown right. or don't have midlife crisis, but but to to use in the way that people like us use, whether it's sugar, caffeine, Netflix, you know, pornography, Bones, you know, what uh, you know, bending, the obsessions, yeah. the obsessions, yeah, that we back ourselves into a corner. Um, under the premise that I just want to change the way I feel. I'm not comfortable in my skin. Yep. I don't, I just want to feel different. I don't even need to feel better. I just want to feel <laughs> different. A different, and, a different and kind anybody, of bad. That's right. Like <laughs> anybody that I can point the finger at and it's just exhausting. And I also think going back to this idea of the gift of desperation or the gift of crisis or the gift of crash and burn, like I, you know, the, the, the most pivotal moments that I've had in my own recovery have been 
a in the bathtub crying, a wake <laughs> be, up be that going, pedo position, man. I'm like, what is going on here? How did this happen? You know, um, and, and even just down to knowing what I need to do. Mm-hmm. I know, Ashley, that when I get up in the morning, I pray, meditate and journal. I, I'm up before my wife and kids. I know that talking to people in recovery every day is good for me. I know that going to a support group like AA or NA is good for me. I know that helping others is good for me. And I resist it. And I'm like, <laughs> no, nah, screw that. No, nah, screw that. No, nah, screw that. And this last time yep. when I'm going, oh, I'm desperate. And I finally got my my therapist like, let's do a meditation session. I've been saying I was going to meditate for like three weeks. And it was almost like when she got me into it or when I got yeah. in those rooms yeah. again. Yeah. It just, it just yeah. was just relief right? because I knew I was actively talking shit to myself yes. because I'm so addicted to fear, anxiety, chaos that I'm yes. like going, I'm not going to do it. Yes. I, That's and, not the answer. That's just bullshit. And you get into this whole thing of like, you, you start to argue with the solution Cause I I don't, I don't know why. I mean, it's like my, I was diagnosed with this, um, oppositional defiance disorder. You may have come across this and you're working with mental health. So I was diagnosed with this multiple times in adolescent programs, ODD. It's a real thing. I was genuinely diagnosed with it. So it's a running joke. I, my dad calls me ODD and I I get like ODD about my own towards my own desire. I am, I am. It's it's all happening. <laughs> what about what about like I'm not going to call them because I already know what they're going to say. Oh. So screw them. Oh, and I already know oh. and screw them and screw that. And I'm not going to do it regardless. Meanwhile, I'm going. Eh, let me shop on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Or let me just mm-hmm. leave me alone. You know, it, it's just. I think the other thing is some. I think one of the um one thing that I've noticed being as I've progressed in my length of sobriety is um because I don't feel close to a drink or drug, like in, I know we talk about we're an arm leads away, blah, blah, blah. But th- there's got to be a lot of shit to happen for me to use. Right. Dope, right. Like, like at this moment. Yeah. But like that, because that is not as close, I resist longer. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like we're I not put as desperate. off the work longer. Yep. Right. The, the desperation is yep. so, it, it's like, I'm not desperate enough. I'm not desperate. Now, I don't think that, but that's exactly what it is because because we look around and it doesn't look like, I mean, I don't, I don't look like, talk like, act like, sound like anything like the the girl who got sober when I was 19, right? That, that, I mean, I'm the same person, but though my life is just, and who I am is a total shift from that. So when I think about taking a drink, right, I do not picture what happened. I picture yeah. Ashley as, you know, a middle-aged woman taking a drink. Like it's a whole other yeah. picture so it doesn't fit into the like gutter junkie. Yeah. scenario. Basically and like it doesn't if scare I Netflix me the same and way. Chill, yeah. <laughs> if you say if I Netflix and chill and pound donuts like what the f- big deal? Right. Who cares? But like it's that compounded over months, right. week, right. whatever. And then I'll back myself so far into a corner where the only way out is to use. I remember when my sponsor first told me that is he's like, at, at any given moment, he's talking to me at any given moment, he had like nine or 10 years clean. 
I will back myself so far into a corner where the only way out is to use and I might do it tomorrow. And I'm going, what are you saying to me? Are you going to use? I'm screwed. This is, if you're going to use, I'm going to use, it's going to be terrible. And he's like, but yeah, we can use anything, people, places, thing, or we can use our recovery. We can use our book. We can use our higher power. We can use, and, and I, that is so true today yep. is I'm such a good painter. I just paint myself into a corner <laughs> and I'm gladly doing it uh-huh. and I'm doing it. And I'm like, nah, screw you. I know, blah, blah, blah. I can get out anytime. And then I look up and go, how did I get here? And I've been painting for nine months. And, and, and th- there's a, I, that's a great, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a great way to frame another thing, which is I have seen people, my best friend painted herself into that corner. And I mean, absolutely, like just like a phenomenal paint job. Okay. Phenomenal. Yeah. She really Beautiful. just Sistine. You, know, you paint that dysfunction so oh, well. Sistine Chapel. I mean, this thing was, there was no way. In fact, so this situation, it was like, if she drank, then she could, all the, the focus, she could have transitioned all the, like it would have been better in some ways for her publicly if she drank because she relapsed without taking a drink. She she blew her life apart, everything. I mean, it was just terrible. And what was interesting about that was, had it been me, I would have relapsed because that would have gotten me out of the trouble from the shit I did. And yeah. and so I, I pictured and saw, like, you know, she happened to have insane recovery. And so she was able to not drink through that. But I I saw what you talk about, which is you paint yourself into a corner, and honestly, the best option is to drink. That's your best option, and I saw yeah. that, and I see, and now I see, you know, how that happens. Like, how does that how does that happen? And it's like you can, you know, some when I when I first had the boys, um, the times I wanted to drink were if I drink right now. No one can rely on me. I'm completely unreliable. I have no responsibilities. I'm just a pile of shit that everyone has to look after. Uh, Like, I just, it just goes, right? Because I'm no longer Ashley and no one can rely on me. That was the appeal. The appeal (laughs) was being off the hook and being someone everyone else had to take care of, right? And I think that is not something that you think about. Like, that's not the original. We're dealing with new ways our alcoholism presents itself like I understood it was not that I didn't understand that my whole life would fall apart that I would become useless those were things I understand that was a level I had reached the new level was not wanting to use that to get away from responsibility something I had never experienced when I got sober I had no responsibilities yeah so it's that's a whole the, new experience thing that's the one thing I obsess about the most using for me is the feeling of relief and no responsibility. Exactly. That's I'm what off the I hook. I'm yeah. off the hook. You can't it's rely like, on me. Uh, yeah. And I think the other thing too is, is as much as I um, obsess, think about, laugh about, um, you know, this feeling of no responsibility and using and all this kind of stuff, the truth is, is that there is a solution in which we could feel that way without you. <laughs> right. Right. Like, let's be real. It's building when I give more effort and when I give life to my relationship spiritually, magically, I'm not as freaking stressed out. Mm -hmm. I just don't I just rebel against the work. 
Right. I like yeah. some fr- framework. Yeah. Yes. I know the framework, but I just want to rebel every way, every way that I can. And so for the a bit of a hope shot for newbies is here we are, we're talking about all this stuff and they're like, well, shit, y'all, you got all these issues. You should have it figured out by now. The, the answer is the same early on as it is now. Yep. The solution still works for me. Back and when I'm in the moment, even when crap's hitting the fan, I am, I get that sense of relief and feeling of happy, joyous and free. It's just that I also resist it. I resist solution. My natural state is I'm not going to get enough. I'm going to lose what I have. I'm going to get yep. in trouble. I am really a piece of that. Like that is my natural state. And if I will make the effort and I'll do like a bit of structure, things that I'm doing on a consistent basis, when I make that effort, funny thing happens is I'm not as on edge. I'm not as stressed mm-hmm. out. My wife is mm-hmm. not the enemy. I don't lose my temper as much with my kid. And like it all, no matter what modality you follow, it's all about being able to be in the moment, accept where you're at, both for your defects and your assets, right? And just being okay with the way things are. And when I do that, I don't have, I don't have to use drugs and alcohol. I just use other things, mm-hmm. prayer, meditation, recovery, support groups, conversations like this. Um, and, and I am grateful because there's a lot of people that do not have that option. Their only option is to use drugs, alcohol, you know, um, other behaviors that are detrimental and they never get the option. I think that's kind of what this is about really is having the choice. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah. And participating. And I think, I think the, the, something that kind of like, if I were to say, you know, like my message in, in all of this conversation all of these things, you know, last, you know, the mental illness, this piece of it, right? It's real. And you don't have to, you know, the intellect has been the biggest barrier for me to recovery, my intellect. It has been absolutely detrimental to me. Me, com- You mean in being too smart for recovery? I mean, it has, it has made it harder for me to get sober. Absolutely. Or, I believe it. I don't even know if it's smart. It's just thinking, intellectualizing the topic, whether or not yeah. like... And the best healing, which is something you are doing right now, has been to act my way into new thinking, to think whatever the hell I want and continue to do the basics, to show up, to go to the support group meetings, call my sponsor, to work with others in spite of what's going on in my head. And that is actually how I've been able to stay sober for almost 15 years is in spite of whatever's going on in my head, I did the things they said would work and they worked. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah, I agree. And I also think uh, one thing that I've been really, that's really prevalent in my, uh, recovery journey and spiritual journey is trying to go back through my childhood stuff, um, to what I've discovered, which was humbling to say the least is I, I, position myself as a cool, laid back, calm <laughs> under pressure guy. Yeah. I am I, love I can be friend <laughs> I can be friend ever anybody. Uh-huh. My wife is the wild woman, you know, she's really she's really a great Alan on controlling, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, all this kind of stuff, go to bed, all this kind of stuff. And you know, this is like what you call it the lower uh, person. Yeah, like I lower go, companion. Look how crazy she is. Isn't that wild? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, she's wild. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the <laughs> calm one. Right. But what I've realized is I've just, it's been a, uh, survival mechanism. And, and I, all I've done is stuff my emotions mm-hmm. so deep that I could, I detached from my emotions. Yep. So I couldn't yep. feel. Yep. And in an effort to protect myself from, from feeling like a scared little boy, who's always worried that the shoe's going to drop. I've inadvertently cut off my ability to feel happy, joyousness and freedom at a 10. Sure. I feel it, but it's really more like a three. And I'm wondering why it is that when I should feel happy, I feel numb or I, when I should feel grief and I feel numb yep. and I've just kind of started to kind of attach this. And it's, that's also part of the thing that's left me so raw with this situation we're in now is I've been working with a therapist. We've been doing some EMDR stuff. We've been kind of exploring through our childhood stuff, been going to ACA a bit. And then I kind of cut all that shit out. So like I'm, I'm opening these doors and it's, it's just raw. Yeah. And, and I even think back to my dad died of cancer when I was, I had two years sober. I felt numb. I got married. I knew I should feel happy and excited. Sure. It was a cool day. I felt numb. My son was born. You know, you hear the elation Mm -hmm. that men share about, Oh my God. Like I knew it was cool. I'm not detracting from it. I felt numb. It was the same experience. And I'm just like, I've just got so much wrapped up in my, my, um, part of the reason I shove down my emotions so much and try to be a calm cucumber is I'm so uncomfortable with anger. Mm. Um, Mm. my struggles with masculinity, Mm. like being able to like be the, be a man, being able to embrace my masculinity without being, um, without it being like forceful. Right, right, right. And, um, yeah. Um, but also being able to embrace my emotional, like to be able to be a man, not, uh, not like the macho stereotypical man, but the man that I want to be right. and embracing the compassion and soft side. I've, I've, I guess I could have intellectualized that for you, but I could, I did, I couldn't put my finger on it. And what I also thought about when you were talking about, uh, your knowledge and intellect or whatever I've used knowledge and learning and strategy and let me understand you as a way to stay in my like prefrontal cortex yep. and out of my emotions. Yep. And so it's just become more and more apparent. That's what I mean. That's what's been happening when I try to think my way out of things instead of feel my way out of things. Yep. I've been trying to think my way through connecting with my wife instead of really having the ability to be vulnerable and I'm not because I'm not comfortable with anger. I'm not because I'm not comfortable with like if my ego gets out of control. Right. Or, and my strategies to combat that has been, they, they've been just that. They've been kind of sick, addict thinking strategies and not being a man that's in touch with his thoughts, feelings and emotions. And I would have never told you that a year ago. I would have never, I would have just said, what are you talking about? I've worked steps so many times. What are you talking about? I'm super Right. Connected. What are you talking about? I'm really in touch with my masculine and feminine energy. What are you talking about? And I'm just not. And it pisses me off. I love it. I don't want to do this, I, Ashley. I... The hell. <laughs> the hell, Ashley. I got it. You know, listeners, if you're new, just keep using. You don't want to do this work. You don't want to do this work. Just keep using. Sparing strength enough. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, it's, it's the fun part about meeting people who've been sober a long time and talking about it. It's like, 
you know what it takes to stay sober 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Like when someone says I've been sober in blah, blah, blah for this long, like I'm like, okay, so I know you've had to, you know, (laughs) like I, you, cause you can't like as someone with this, like if you're the real deal, you're not going to stay sober sitting at home doing nothing, you know, you're not. And so you had to get to that, that deeper layer. And, and I, the dissociation, like the dissociative part of, and I, I did that as well. And I struggle with it. Remember I said, like, I don't cry very often. Like that's not a, yeah. and you cut off what I did was I cut off the bad feelings, but, but like you said, that cuts off the good feelings too. Right. You know what I think of it as, is like a visual is you, you have like this up and down kind of like a, you know, a heartbeat or a sound right, wave. Right, right. Well, in an effort to cut off the bottom, you also cut off the top. Yep. And so it, at one point in my recovery, that was a good thing for me because I didn't want to get too excited mm-hmm. because when I get excited, I have a tendency to do things I don't want to do. I don't want to get too low because I have a tendency to do want to do. I want to stay right in the middle and, and talking to you on a consistent basis, help me stay in the middle, going to meetings on a consistent basis, help me stay in the middle, uh, praying and meditating, uh, consistently helps me stay in the middle. But what that has morphed into because the desperation, it's not that I've never been happy, joyous, and free for real, for real, for real on a 10. I have, but I experienced it when I was, I mean, my first five years of recovery, I was going to a meeting every day, not because I had to, because I wanted to. Girl, I was connected. I, I, I <laughs> fantasize about the first five years of recovery. I was like, pink cloud, that was amazing. I could feel yeah. everything. But by cutting these things out, and from the outside, it looks like... Um, Things are going well, you know, house, family, job, and they are, there's a lot of great things that have happened, but I've resorted back to that. I've cut the top. And so what has happened is my way to deal with, have you ever read that book? The body keeps the score. Yes. Beast mode. So (laughs) I'm that guy that my solution to trauma is numbness. Right. And, Me too. and what I've what I've lost is kind of that zest for life, that excitement for going on vacation or that deep, affectionate love that I want to feel for my wife or not that I want to express to my wife. I right. think it, but I can't get down there even with my kid. And then I pile all the shame and guilt on because right. I can't get there. I know I right. should get there. I want to get there, but I've right. got a block. And right. so. And, and so that's why it's so important to remember that we have a a living problem and a feeling problem right. and a thinking problem, not just a drug and alcohol problem. And that's why me and you like to laugh. It's like, oh, you quit? Great. Well, strap on, <laughs> strap on your seatbelt, friend. Because now you're going to find out you got a feeling problem and a thinking problem and a living problem. Exactly. Are you sure exactly. you want to deal with this? Yeah, exactly. This is the beginning. Yeah. It, it, um, I, I relate so much and, and my, my response is, is numb too. And I think that, you know, you do a lot of work to get to the place where I think you're ready to do the, the internal work. And it's one of the things kind of going back to what we talked about in the beginning, which is that you, Sometimes there are things in those support groups that, um, or sometimes you have things that the support group isn't equipped to handle. And that's when you can take that and go deeper in the therapeutic in, you know, environment. And I, that's that, you know, the two together are so 
freaking valuable, so valuable. And, and maybe you needed, and this is how I have to look at it. Maybe you needed to get to the place of doing all the other work, getting all the other things, and then really wanting it in order to open up enough to go to the therapy portion and do that. Look in every, and I'm not saying, I mean, every situation, Ashley, I go through a best case, worst case scenario. And whether I trust it, I fight it. Are you an actuary? It doesn't freaking (laughs) matter. Best case, worst case, no matter what I do, Ashley, I always end up 10 times better than I can imagine. Right. But the difference is, am I able to give life to my spiritual, do, you know, do the work to get closer to God or closer to whatever that thing is? Or do I resist it and get into self and ego and whatever? Because the shit's going to happen regardless. And, you know, people talk about God's not going to give you more than you can handle or whatever. You know how I know I'm where I'm supposed to be and you're where you're supposed to be? Because that's where we're at. Right. Right. You know how I know that's how it's supposed to work out because that's how it worked out. There is no debating. And what's the point of getting into the future or regretting the past or go? It doesn't freaking matter. What What's going to happen is happening. Yep. And it's a matter of am I going to get, you know, yep. uh, let go of the steering wheel and jump in the back or, or am I going to keep trying to fight everything and everyone um, in an effort to not have to deal because I. That's the truth is I really don't want to deal. I want to intellectualize. I want to talk about it. I want to hear your funny stories about it. Anything that I can do to not deal. Yep. Um, even though I know I kind of want to, I want the benefits. <laughs> I guess that's the truth. I want the benefits without the work. That This is what this whole podcast should boil down yeah. to. That's the truth, everybody. Yeah. I want you to do the work uh-huh. and me to reap the rewards. That's what I want. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should I get my bank account and someone can write me a check for a million yeah. and then I don't have to do anything? Yeah, yep. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, that seems completely, re- I, I get that completely. Yeah. Well, Preston, I could talk to you for pretty much all day, every day, hours and upon hours, but we are uh, coming to the end of people's attention span. Yeah. And I just want to say that I have truly enjoyed this. I relate to you so much. I love that you intellectualize this because I get someone to intellectualize it with. And um, I hope that people understand that ultimately, and I believe that they do, that ultimately we regularly make the decision to override our whining, complaining brains and we do the work. And that's why we're here able to have the conversation. But if, you know, feeling that the normalcy of feeling resistance, I mean, that's just part of it. It's just yeah. you're normal if you're resisting. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think the other thing is just for for new people or spouses of or mm. families of, um, you know, I like what you said about it. Doesn't matter what you think; it matters what we do. Yep. And um, even more importantly, for you know Rudolph, the dope fiend, alcoholic <laughs> that's having problems. I'll never look at I'm Rudolph talking the to same. you, wife. <laughs> husband, mother, who's listening to this going, how can I fix my son? Uh How can I fix the best way to fix your son, your daughter, your spouses is to get your ass in therapy, get your ass in some family support groups, because when you change you, everybody else changes around you. And, um, and if you develop habits, which that's why I like support groups is you develop habits that you do on a daily basis. You're a lot more likely 
to move yourself in the direction that you fantasize about, that you think about and wonder, why can I not get there, even though it makes so much sense? And it's much easier to do it with other people instead of doing it alone. And you don't have to do it alone. So um, I, I hope that that helps. And the good thing is, Ashley, we do have an opportunity to talk for hours more because you're coming on my podcast I know, uh, so in, in a month. Okay, so yeah, yeah. tell everyone about your podcast, please. Podcast is called High Cost of Anonymity, where we explore the cost of um, uh, and need to learn to tell your story in a responsible, productive way. My goal and purpose is to make counseling, uh, therapy, support groups like AA and NA as common as hiring a personal trainer or going to the gym. And you can find it on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, etc. And you can check me out on Instagram, K Preston Moore, no spaces, K is in kettle. My parents named me Christopher with a K, but I go by Preston. K Preston Moore on Instagram. I can tell you, you have uh, no resentment around that. Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did it to my kid too. He goes by his middle name as well. But, uh, and you can uh, uh, call me, email me. I don't care. I'm open. Holler at your boy. Awesome. Thank you yeah. so, so much for being here. And uh, I'll see you on your podcast. Yeah, for sure. Talk soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks. But I've right. got a block. And right. so- and so that's why it's so important to remember that we have a a living problem and a feeling problem right. and a thinking problem, not just a drug and alcohol problem. And that's why me and you like to laugh. It's like, oh, you quit? Great. Well, strap on, <laughs> strap on your seatbelt, friend. Because now you're going to find out you got a feeling problem and a thinking problem and a living problem. Exactly. Are you sure exactly. you want to deal with this? Yeah, exactly. This is the beginning. Yeah. It, it, um, I, I relate so much and, and my, my response is, is numb too. And I think that, you know, you do a lot of work to get to the place where I think you're ready to do the, the internal work. And it's one of the things kind of going back to what we talked about in the beginning, which is that you, Sometimes there are things in those support groups that, um, or sometimes you have things that the support group isn't equipped to handle. And that's when you can take that and go deeper in the therapeutic in, you know, yeah. environment. And I, that's that, you know, the two together are so freaking valuable, so valuable. And, and yeah. maybe you needed, and this is how I have to look at it. Maybe you needed to get to the place of doing all the other work getting all the other things and then really wanting it in order to open up enough to go to the therapy portion yeah. and do that. Look, in every, and I'm not saying, I mean, every situation, Ashley, I go through a best case, worst case scenario. And whether I trust it, I fight it. Are you an I actuary? It, it doesn't <laughs> freaking matter. Best case, worst case, no matter what I do, Ashley, I always end up 10 times better than I can imagine. Right. But the difference is, am I able to give life to my spiritual do, you know, do the work to get closer to God or closer to whatever that thing is? Or do I resist it and get into self and ego and whatever? Because the shit's going to happen regardless. And, you know, people talk about God's not going to give you more than you can handle or whatever. You know how I know I'm where I'm supposed to be and you're where you're supposed to be because that's where we're at. Right. Right. You know how I know that's how it's supposed to work out because that's how it worked out. There is no debating. And what's the point of getting into the future or regretting the past or go? It doesn't freaking matter. What, what's going to happen is happening. Yep. And it's a matter of am I going to get, you know, yep. uh, let go of the steering wheel and jump in the back or, or am I going to keep trying to fight everything and everyone 
um, in an effort to not have to deal because I, that's the truth is I really don't want to deal. I want to intellectualize. I want to talk about it. I want to hear your funny stories about it. Anything that I can do to not deal. Yep. Um, even though I know I kind of want to, I want the benefits. <laughs> I guess that's the truth. I want the benefits without the work that this is what this whole podcast should boil down yeah. to. That's the truth. Everybody. Yeah. I want you to do the work uh-huh. and me to reap the rewards. That's what I want. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should I get my bank account? Someone can write me a check for a million yeah. and then I don't have to do anything. Yeah, yep. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, that seems completely, re- I, I get that completely. Yeah. Well, Preston, I could talk to you for pretty much all day, every day, hours and upon hours, but we are uh, coming to the end of people's attention span. Yeah. And I just want to say that I have truly enjoyed this. I relate to you so much. I love that you intellectualize this because I get someone to intellectualize it with. And um, I hope that people understand that ultimately, and I believe that they do, that ultimately we regularly make the decision to override our whining, complaining brains and we do the work. And that's why we're here able to have the conversation. But if, you know, feeling that the normalcy of feeling resistance, I mean, that's just part of it. It's just yeah. you're normal if you're resisting. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think the other thing is just for for new people or spouses of or mm. families of, um, you know, I like what you said about it. Doesn't matter what you think; it matters what we do. Yep. And um, even more importantly, for you know Rudolph, the dope fiend alcoholic <laughs> that's having problems. I'll never look at I'm Rudolph talking the to same. you, wife. <laughs> husband, mother, who's listening to this going, how can I fix my son? Uh How can I fix the best way to fix your son, your daughter, your spouses is to get your ass in therapy, get your ass in some family support groups, because when you change you, everybody else changes around you. And, um, and if you develop habits, which that's why I like support groups is you develop habits that you do on a daily basis. You're a lot more likely to move yourself in the direction that you fantasize about, that you think about and wonder, why can I not get there, even though it makes so much sense? And it's much easier to do it with other people instead of doing it alone. And you don't have to do it alone. So um, I, I hope that that helps. And the good thing is, Ashley, we do have an opportunity to talk for hours more because you're coming on my podcast I know, uh, so in, in a month. Okay, so yeah, yeah. tell everyone about your podcast, please. Podcast is called High Cost of Anonymity, where we explore the cost of um, uh, and need to learn to tell your story in a responsible, productive way. My goal and purpose is to make counseling, uh, therapy, support groups like AA and NA as common as hiring a personal trainer or going to the gym. And you can find it on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, etc. And you can check me out on Instagram, K Preston Moore, no spaces, K is in kettle. My parents named me Christopher with the K, but I go by Preston. K Preston Moore on Instagram. I can tell you have uh, no you resentment around that. Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did it to my kid too. He goes by his middle name as well. But uh, and you can uh, uh call me, email me. I don't care. I'm open. Holler at your boy. Awesome. Thank you yeah. so so much for being here, and uh, I'll see you on your podcast. Yeah, for sure. Talk soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by LionRock.life. LionRock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. 
Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting's schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.